You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, this is week four of a series we've been calling Margin, and we define margin as that which is available beyond what is required or what I need. It's the extra. And so we've been talking about margin in relationship to time and how we manage time. Uh, I was eating lunch with some guys the other day, and one of the guys said, uh, well, every time you talk about margin in regard to time, I think of my favorite comedian, Brian Regan, who does this bit on Pop-Tarts. And he says, do you know they actually have uh, instructions on the back of a box of Pop-Tarts? Do you really need instructions for Pop-Tarts? There's even instructions about how to mic- microwave a Pop-Tart. And Brian Regan says, I was blown away by that. How long does it take to toast a Pop-Tart? Maybe a minute if you want it really brown? You don't have that kind of time? He says, if you are having to zap a Pop-Tart in the microwave for three seconds on your way out the door, maybe you should loosen up your schedule. Maybe it's just a little too tight. I think that's what we've been trying to say over these last few weeks. Loosen up the schedule some. Make sure you make time for the important stuff in life. We talk also about making margin in our finances, making sure that we have time and money and our schedules for the most important things in life. And so today we're going to talk about margin in regard to our morals, margin in regard to our morals. So what do you mean when you talk about morals, Rick? I'm talking about right and wrong behavior. So what about moral choices that you make? Is there margin in your life in regard to your morals? What I believe is that the world that I live in, the society that I participate in, tries to push me to the edge in my morals. And if I let my society set my margins morally, I'm going to live my life out to the very edge. And so the question I really want to ask you today is simply this. Who is setting... Wait wait a minute. Um, Hey, up in the booth, is there any way... Could we possibly get these words on the screen? I think it'd be good if I could have the question actually printed on the screen. Could you do that for me? Pastor Rick? Yes. Uh, This is Randy up in the booth. Hey, Randy, can you put those words up for me? Just I'll give you the words. Who is setting... Sure. sure. What font size do you want? Uh, I don't care what font, Randy. I just want to make sure that they can see them. It doesn't... It doesn't matter to me, okay? So, just the words. Pa- Who? Rick? Yes. Uh, this is Randy in the booth again. <laughs> hey, Randy. What, what, where do you want the margin set for this? Randy, when I sit down to type, I don't think about margins, okay? I just start typing. Pastor Rick, are you saying that you let other people set the margin for you? Oh, that's a great point. When it comes to typing, Randy, I'm okay with people setting the margins for me. But when it comes to morality... I believe that under the leadership of the Spirit, I've got to set those myself. Amen? So, would you put these words on the screen? Who is setting your moral margins? There we go. You want to give Randy a hand for working with me this morning a little bit? So, when I open the Bible, here's what the Apostle Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10. If you want to grab a Bible and open it with me, starting with verse 1. He's dealing with this issue of eating meat offered to idols. I knew I would grab you with that one right there. That's something you're living with every day, right? 
Although you're not living with that every day, it was an issue for the people who lived in Corinth. Such an issue that Paul says, I'm going to write about it for about two chapters. And what it really comes down to in the middle of chapter 10 is this. Who is that meat being sacrificed to? It's not God. And if it's not God, then it must be demons. And do you really want to associate, keep company with that section in your life? And so here's what Paul ends up saying is this. Maybe you have too much confidence in regard to your freedom in Christ. In fact, maybe you're overconfident. Maybe you think, maybe you think in your mind that you're standing really firm. And so if you think that you're standing really firm, you need to be really careful. The word is blepo in the Greek. It means to see or to look. And often it's translated to look. But metaphorically it's talking about what you see in your mind. What you think about. What you contemplate. What you weigh. And he's saying if you think that you're standing really firm in your faith. Maybe you really ought to think about this. And maybe you ought to weigh that in your mind. And maybe you should take precautions. So that you don't fall. Because what Paul is saying in this passage is that everybody is capable of falling. And everybody is going to be tempted. And everybody could lose their balance and experience moral failure. So let me read these words to you, okay? Starting with chapter 10, verse 1, book of 1 Corinthians. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud... And he's talking about the cloud that led them when they were in the wilderness. They didn't know which way to go. And God says, I'll just put a cloud in the sky. When the cloud moves, it's simple. You move. I'll guide you with the cloud. You just follow the cloud. And so they were all under the cloud and they were all, they all rather passed through the sea. He's talking about the Red Sea. God parts the sea. They go through. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. He's talking about the manna that landed on the ground of the desert floor in the mornings. And they would go out and gather this bread, and that's what they ate for the day. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Now he's referring to the water that came from the rock when they were thirsty. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They died there. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things like they did. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality As some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall. 
No temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God's word for us today. Amen? Amen. Um, A few months ago, I was in this room on a Wednesday night with a group of people having a prayer meeting. A prayer service. And I talked about going to... Phoenix and renting a car and joining a group of people from our church who was there on a missions trip. And so there were children and teenagers and university students and young adults and mid-adults and senior adults. It was this intergenerational kind of trip. And I joined them for a couple of days. And one of the days we got up that morning, we ate breakfast, we got ready and we drove over, which was only 45 minutes from where we were staying to the Grand Canyon. I'd never seen the Grand Canyon before. And I stood there and I thought to myself, no wonder they call this grand. It was awesome. And, and I remember a lot of the university students and teenagers that were with us, they kept getting, you know, really close to the edges of the rim of the canyon. And I kept saying, hey, why don't you guys come back up this way a little bit? And so instead of standing behind the wall that was built there, the rock wall, and looking over the wall for your protection, they were standing on the wall. And I'm like, why do you have to stand on the wall? Why don't, you're making me nervous. Come back. And they were kind of going on the other side of the rails. And so this one kid named Abby thought it would be funny to kind of trick me, which she did. So let me show you what Abby did that day at the Grand Canyon, okay? Okay, here we are at the Grand Canyon. Abby, say hi to everybody back home. Abby! (laughs) So I didn't know there was a landing down there, but Abby did. My, My whole deal was, don't get too close to the edge. You get too close to the edge, you might fall. So, so I, want you to, I want you to pay really close attention. If, if I live my life to the edge financially, and I have failure, chances are I can dig myself out of that hole. I've watched a lot of people come back from a strong deficit financially. And I've watched them regain control of their finances again, and even thrive financially. And so if I'm living my life all the way up to the edge of my finances and I have failure, I can come back. And if I'm living my life all the way to the edge in my time and my schedule and my calendar and I have failure, I can come back. But if I'm living my life all the way to the edge in my morals and I have moral failure, it could change my life forever. I could suffer the consequences the rest of my life. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a prison or a jail cell and picked up a phone and looked through a piece of plate glass and had a conversation with somebody who was living their life to the edge morally. And they had failure. And they were going to spend a lot of time in prison because of that failure. I cannot tell you how many people that I have spoken with in my office as a pastor who have sat down in front of me and said, Pastor, I was living on the edge morally. And I had failure. And I messed up my marriage. And now I don't get to live in a home with my kids anymore. Somebody else is raising my children. And I get to visit with them once a week. 
If I live my life to the edge in my finances and I have failure, I can recover. I can dig out of a hole. Or with my calendar, I can recover. But if I'm living my life to the edge in my morals and I have failure, it can change my life forever. And so Paul begins to talk to the people at Corinth. And he's concerned about them because they seem to be living on the edge with some confidence and maybe too confident in the freedom that Christ has given them. And he begins to challenge them about pulling back from the edge. And in so doing, he begins to tell them the story, a beautiful story. It's a story about God guiding the people of Israel. It's a story about God providing food for them to eat and providing stuff for them to drink. It's about a God providing protection to them from the enemy. And he kind of begins to tell this beautiful story about how this wonderful God reaches down and begins to watch over his people. We don't know where to go. We don't know the path. It's okay. I'll put a cloud in the sky. When the cloud moves, you move. When the cloud stops, you stop. The cloud will guide you. And at night, the cloud will protect you. And he reminds them of this time when they were running from the Egyptian army, being freed from slavery. But they come up to the Red Sea. There's nowhere to go. The army is closing in. And the story of God who parts the waters is told. And the people of Israel cross on dry land. And when the Egyptian army comes in behind them, the waters come over them and they're all destroyed. And it's a story about a group of people living in the wilderness with nothing to eat. And God says, I'll provide food for you. And in the morning they get up and they go outside and there is bread laying all over the desert floor. And they pick enough up for today. And tomorrow they pick enough up for today. It's a story about people with nothing to drink. And God says, it's okay. And he brings water out of a rock. And they drink and are filled. And then Paul says, do you know what happened to those people? When it came time to go into the promised land, although God had put a cloud in the sky to guide them and created a part in the seas for them to cross over and escape the Egyptian army. And he gave them water out of a rock to drink and he gave them food off the desert floor to eat. They said, we don't think God is strong enough or able enough to give us that land. And they had no faith and they refused to cross. And God became angry with them and none of them got to go to the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. He tells a story about them worshiping a golden calf because Moses was on Mount Sinai and he was receiving the law. And they said, how long is he going to stay? We've got nobody to lead us. Create us a God. And they brought all of their earrings and all of their gold and all their jewelry. And they made this golden calf and they began to worship it. There was another time when they began to test God and snakes bit them and many of them died. Over 20,000. And another time when they grumbled against God, and many of them died that day. These these people? That God did all of this for? These are the people? Yes. What do you make of that? And Paul says, I'll tell you what I make of that. They serve as a warning to us. That no matter how blessed you are by God, or what kind of provision He gives you, You are capable of being tempted and falling. 
You are capable of idolatry. You are capable of sexual immorality. You are capable of testing God. You are capable of grumbling against God. And so if you think that you are standing firm, you need to be careful. You need to take precaution. You need to weigh this thing heavily in your mind so that you do not fall. Okay, so that's, that's the scripture. And so every time that I read my Bible, I've got a pretty significant question that I have to ask myself. And that significant question that I have to ask myself is, okay, I think I understand what God is saying to the people at Corinth. What is God now saying to me? And how do I apply all of this that I've read this morning to my life? And I think the message is very much the same. I think God is saying, hey, Rick Harvey, hey, all you people at Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, if you think you are standing firm, you guys need to be careful because nobody is beyond temptation and all of you are capable of idolatry and all of you are capable of sexual immorality and all of you are capable of testing God and all of you are capable of grumbling against God. Every one of you here this morning had the potential of falling. Now, I understand if somebody says, oh, I don't know, Rick, I'm, I'm doing good. I mean, I, I am standing pretty firm. I'm not going home today and pulling some wooden statue out of a dusty closet of mine and putting a rug down in front of it and getting on my knees and singing songs to it and praying to it and worshiping it. I don't have any idol worship in my life. I don't think I'm going to commit sexual immorality this week. I don't think I'm going to test God. I don't think I'm going to grumble against Him. I think I'm okay. And I think if that is what you are thinking, you are the person that these words are the most for. Don't be overconfident in your freedom in Christ. You know what I think? I think I am capable of falling. And I think you are capable of falling. And I think we need to listen closely to the Scripture this morning. And I think we need to be very careful. And I think we need to contemplate this and weigh it heavily in our minds. And I think we need to take precautions. And I think we need to create margin in our lives when it comes to moral issues. And so here we go. You ready? Here's the application part. I understand that you don't have probably a wooden statue at home that you want to worship. But you understand an idol is anything that takes the throne of our hearts. And I think the idols in our lives today look so common that we don't even see them as gods. Things like checkbooks. Um, I realize I'm talking to a different generation. Things like uh, the app on your phone that's connected to your bank account. <laughs> Things like search engines on a computer on the Internet. Things like sports. Material kind of stuff. Calendars and schedules. 
And so what we've been talking about for this last couple of weeks is building margin in my life. I know you could work six days, seven days a week rather. But if you work seven days a week, what does that say about what is important to you? And what ultimately do you begin to worship? And I know you could spend all of your money that you earn this week on stuff that you want. But if you spend all of your money this week on stuff that you want, what does it say about what's really important in your life? Sexual immorality is ruining our society. It continues to tear homes apart at a rapid rate. Because of the accessibility to pornography on the internet, people are living in addiction to pornography. I talk with individual after individual after individual who says, Rick, this may be the only area in my life that I cannot get surrendered to God. It's the only thing that keeps me separated from Him. I can't kick this addiction. So I want to talk to you a little bit about it, okay? And first I'd like to talk to people who are single. And then I want to say a few words to people who are married. So, so if you are single, and in regard to your sexuality, when we think in terms of morality, what's right and what's wrong, here's the edge. I would just say to you that you've got to create margin. And, and back here from the edge, you've got to draw a line, a bold line, okay, about your sexuality in regard to morality. And so I don't think you can wait until you're on the date. And you begin to say to yourself, okay, I need to think about this. Where should I draw the line? I think you've got to draw the line now. I think you've got to say to yourself, okay, if that's the edge, I'm drawing the line back here. I'm giving myself some margin, okay? So I'm going to draw the line back here, and I'm not crossing that line. And you can't wait till tomorrow afternoon when you're in a room and the door is closed and nobody can see and you begin to go online. At that moment, you could not begin to say, okay, where am I going to draw the line? If this is the edge, where am I going to draw the line? I think you have to draw the line today and you have to draw a bold line that says, if that's the edge, then this is the line. And I can't cross that line. And you've got to create margin in your life. If you're married, let me just say some similar things to you. I think you've got to determine if this is the edge out here, I'm going to step back from the edge and I'm just going to draw a bold line and I'm not crossing that line. And so I can't talk to you about where your margins should be, but I can talk to you about where my margins should be. So a long time ago, I made a decision that my norm would not be to ride in a car with a person who wasn't my wife of the opposite sex alone. Just not going to be daily habit for me. So I just kind of begin to draw a line. That's the line right there. You say, Rick, what happens if it's an emergency or you just got an issue? Well, there's been a couple of times in the last 15 years that I've crossed that line. Picked up the phone and called my wife and I said, Annette, here's the situation. 
I think I'm going to go ahead and ride in the car with this person. We're leaving now. We'll be there then. I'll call you when I get there. I created accountability. Again, I know I can't draw the line for you, but it seems like to me that a car is a very small room. It seems like to me that a car is a pretty intimate place. It seems like to me that in a car, you sit awfully close to one another. And for me, I just believed in my heart that that was not a good practice for me. I don't, I don't go to lunch with a female who is not my wife. If she was 95, I might make an exception. <laughs> but, but I just can't imagine you walking into a restaurant tomorrow and you see me sitting there with some lady who is about, you know, 10 years younger than me, extremely attractive, and I am just smiling and having a great time and we're laughing. I think you might be, wow, Pastor Rick kind of hangs around the ladies, it seems like to me. I'm not for sure you'd be comfortable. I think what you'd be saying is, it seems like to me Pastor Rick is not creating any margin in this life. It seems like to me Pastor Rick likes to live on the edge a little bit. And so the same rule applies when I sit down at my computer at my laptop. I will meet with people of the opposite sex in my office, but do you know what is in my office? There's a window on a door. And you know what's on the other side of that window and that door? People. And so I meet with people all the time, ladies and guys, and that's no problem for me. I do it every week. Every week I meet with ladies, and I don't have any problem doing that. But there is margin. There is a window there, and there are people on the other side of that window. And at any moment, anybody could look through that window. And, and it's, it's a decision that says, if this is the edge, I'm stepping back, and I'm going to draw a line. Okay? And I'm not going to cross the line. So I read something a few years ago I thought was really good. Rick, if I can't have you set my margins for me, which I can't, then how do I know where to set my margins if I'm a married man or woman? So here's a good, here's a good answer for you, I think. You ask yourself this question. To what extent... Would I want my spouse to go? To what extent would I want my spouse to go to avoid? To what extent would I want my spouse to go to avoid unnecessary sexual temptation? And when you have decided where that is, then that becomes your margin. You like that? I like that. Because to be honest with you, if I went to Charleston's tomorrow and I walked in to meet somebody for lunch and I looked over and I said, that's Annette. And Annette is sitting there with some guy about five years younger than me who works out and is tanned and dresses like Perry Ellis. And they're laughing really hard and she just looks like she's having more fun than she's ever had with me. I'm going to be like, what was so funny in Charleston's with that guy, Ned? Because I can't compete with that guy. Do not say amen. Somebody said that in person. And it hurt a little bit. 
Because sitting at lunch, all it is is just company with one another. And when Annette gets home, sometimes we go on dates and that's what we have company with one another. But most of the time when we're together, you know what we're doing? We are managing life and we are managing laundry and we are managing dishwashers and we are, we are managing money and we are managing all the stuff that you have to manage. And all the time, life is not just beautiful and fun and the bright smile of Flavio looking at you, okay? Sometimes life is a challenge. There's no marriage that can compete with that. None. None. And so, we create margin. If this is the edge, I'm stepping back from the edge. I'm going to draw a bold line, and I'm going to create margin. So where's the margin to not test God? Or where's the margin to not grumble against God? Now, no, I don't have a ton of time. So let me just jump forward a little bit here, okay? Um, You you remember me, I think, talking about um, circles. Maybe in one of my first sermons here, I said, I'm standing here, and just imagine that I've drawn a circle around myself, okay? There's a circle all around me here, and I'm inside the circle. Everything in the circle is within God's will, okay? Everything within the circle, God says, I'm okay with it. Um, everything in the circle, according to God, is morally right, okay? There's no wrong in the circle. And I'm in the circle. I'm not talking about saying, Rick, I'm in the circle, but I'm over here on the very edge, as far and as close to the edge as I can possibly get, and this is where I typically hang out, on the edge here. I'm not talking about staying on the edge. I'm talking about getting in the middle of the circle. It's an old phrase that I grew up with. I want to be in the center of God's will. I want to be in the center of what is right. I have no desire to live over here on the very edge. It's the old argument of God's not going to send me to hell for living over here. That's not the issue. It's someone who says I'm a little smarter than that. And I've listened to God's word. And God's word said, be careful, take precaution. Weigh this heavily in your mind. And don't live on the edge, but live in the middle. If I'm living on the edge financially and I have failure, I can recover. Or in my schedule, I can recover. But if I'm living on the edge in my morals and I have failure, it could change my life forever. You remember the story of a guy named Joseph in the Bible in the book of Genesis, latter part of Genesis? Life's not going well. His brothers sell him into slavery because they're jealous of him. And life has taken a downward turn. His slave master, Potiphar, finds that he has great potential and he begins to put him in charge of stuff. And he does so well, he finally puts him in charge of his whole house. And Potiphar's house prospers under Joseph's leadership. And one day, Potiphar's wife notices Joseph. The Bible says she notices that he is well-built and handsome. A curse I have had to live with personally all these years. Why are you laughing at me? Muscles are overrated. And she invited him to bed with her. You know what Joseph's response was? 
How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Do you know why Joseph was able to say that? Because a long time ago he stepped back from the edge and he drew a bold line. And he knew where he stood. He didn't say something like, well, I'm not going to go all the way, but maybe we could do some things together. No. He wasn't in that moment trying to decide where the line was going to be. No, a long time ago he drew a line. And he said, I'm not crossing that line. I'm leaving margin in my life. I've stepped back from the edge. And this morning, I'm challenging you to draw lines today. If you think you're standing firm, you be careful. Weigh this heavily in your mind. Take precautions. Because anybody can fall. Anybody can be tempted. Every time, every time, every time I preach a sermon like this, I will have somebody come to me, and maybe it's not immediately, and usually it's a year away or months away, and say, Rick Harvey, that morning that you preached that sermon, I was so mad at you I couldn't stand it. I left the service so mad I could have hit you. It's because I was living out on the edge. And I didn't like you sharing your personal margin about things like not going to lunch or riding in a car with somebody of the opposite sex. Because those were the kinds of things I was enjoying. And I left that service that day angry with you. Because I liked living on the edge. Every time, every time, every time I preach a sermon like this down the road, it's happened since I've been here. It'll happen again. I'm challenging you to take seriously God's word this morning and to back up from the edge and draw a line. So I want you to stand with me, okay? I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to say you're free to go if you want to go. If you were kind of counting on coming to the altar for whatever reason this morning, you can come as everybody's leaving. It's no problem. After I pray, Kyle's going to lead us in a worship song and we'll sing together if you want to. If you need to go, you can go. If you want to hang around for a while, you can. But I want to pray for you before I dismiss you, okay? So, Father, this morning I'm praying for a young man or a young woman or a man or a woman who is living on the edge without margin in their moral life. I'm asking you, Lord, to save them a lot of pain. I'm asking you, Lord, to save them their reputation. Reputation. I'm asking you to save them, Lord their marriage I'm asking you to save them Father the image that their kids have of them save them great pain and help them today Lord to back up from the edge and to draw a line 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.